0: Luke chapter 15, Luke 15, I want us to read a familiar and well-known story that Jesus once told in Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. Hear now the word of the true and living God. And he, that is Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. His older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to your words that we might See the things contained within it, that we might understand them, and that we would take them to heart. Help us to see you in the story, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, our family is coming off of a week up at Bible Camp, up at Yosemite Bible Camp. We are wayworn, sun-kissed, and mosquito-bitten. But it was a good week, of course, for a number of reasons. And this morning, I want to share with you the things we learned up at Bible camp. The text here before us in Luke 15 was the text that the kids focused on all week. The Bible classes were focused and geared toward this text, this parable that Jesus told about these two sons and a father who loved both of them very much. The evening devotionals also dealt with this text and used it as a launch point and the things that the kids had learned in Bible class in order to expand upon those things. While we were there, we learned about the Father who restores our dignity when we end up in the pig pen of sin. And that's what happens here, this... this Jesus is is a Jewish man speaking to a Jewish audience. I think it's safe to assume that this younger son, uh, the understanding would be he was Jewish himself, and therefore he ends up in this pig pen. The pigs, according to the Jewish religion, are unclean animals. This This is the worst thing that could happen to a Jewish person, slopping the pigs. It doesn't get much more degrading and undignified as that. And yet, the Father restores him to his former dignity, not as a slave, but as a son. And as I think about that, I, it's good to help those who have lost their dignity. It's good to help, as best we can, to restore some sense of dignity to them. I think about our ministry every Thursday to the homeless. They come and they are dirty, they are in need of food. And we have services here, they, they can receive a, a shower, a hot shower. They can receive clean clothes. By the way, our own Mike Hampton is one who, who maintains that with, with help from other volunteers. And if you'd like to volunteer to help with that, there's, there's Mike. You're, you're welcome, Mike. Because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of work to be done. To make sure that when our guests come on Thursday, they can receive those clothes. There's food to be made. They receive a hot meal. The laundry shuttle is on site. They can have their clothes washed. Uh, Once a month now, the Paul Mitchell School comes down. They get a haircut. And it is remarkable to see the change that that all these things, these physical things, make in an individual. They may come in and they may be grumpy, they may be tired but after they get that shower and they get that meal and become much more agreeable. And we have opportunity to share with them the gospel, to pray with them. Having met these physical needs, it's, it's a stepping stone to these greater needs. You see, we can help restore their dignity to some sense, but it is the Father who ultimately, in the Son, restores their greatest need and restores their greatest need for dignity. It's it's sin that drives all of us mad, it drives us crazy. We have to be crazy to end up in the big pen of sin. but That's the nature of sin, is it does drive us crazy. But the Father invites us to flee to the sane shores of sanity, to the house of blessing, and He invites us there so that we might receive the restoration of our dignity. While we were up at Bible camp, we also learned about our own self-centeredness. The story was told Tuesday evening about a father who would carry his son in the middle of the night. His son would wake up and would be crying as as a baby. And he would carry his infant son from room to room. And that seemed to quiet the child for a moment, but uh, only for the moment. And that's kind of what happens to us with our own self-centeredness is we wander from room to room in this world looking for God only knows what. And indeed, that's the thing is only God can give us what we need. The thing we're searching for, only the Father can give it to us. What ends up happening is we, have, we often treat symptoms of a deeper disease We deal with physical things, and we meet felt needs without dealing with the spiritual things, the deeper needs that we have. And only God can fill us with His fullness through His Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. The restlessness that sin produces within us can only be stilled by coming back and coming home to the Father. In Bible camp, we also learned that every day is Christmas for Christians because the Father, through the Son and by means of the Holy Spirit, has given us spiritual gifts. When the Son comes back home, the Father puts the best robe on him, puts a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. All of these are, are significant the Symbolic, as it were, for the things that God gives us in Christ. We receive the robe of His righteousness, the seamless garment of His righteousness, God the Father gives to us. The ring on His hand symbolizes the authority and the position of the Son. Shoes on the feet, slaves, uh, they don't wear shoes. And here's the son coming back home to live in the father's house and he's been given these shoes. The fattened calf is brought out so that they might eat and and celebrate. All of these gifts the father gives to the son. And for us, and even to a greater degree, the father has gifted us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And he's given us spiritual gifts so that we might identify the gift that he has given us. We might put it to use in service to the church and to others, and that we might grow and mature in our faith. He expects us to do that, the Father does, since He has lavished us with these great and marvelous gifts. The Father expects us to use them. We also learned up at Bible camp that the Father patiently waits for us. Why does He do that? The the speaker one night talked about waiting in line for stuff that we want. Like like when you when you go to get your driver's license, you have to go to the DMV. Right? Who enjoys standing in line at the DMV? Yeah, I didn't see any hands go up either. Yeah. Um waiting in line at the DMV is not a lot of fun, but you do that because you want your driver's license, right? And in a similar vein, our Father patiently waits for us because He wants us. The Father wants us. We are wanted by Him. And so we wait for us. Uh, We wait for things that we want, and the Father waits for us because He wants us. Of course, you know, we're not always the best at waiting for things, right? We get upset if it takes longer than a minute to microwave something. We're impatient, The Father is perfect in patience, and He waits for us. And that's good news, because sometimes for some of us, He has to wait a long time. But He patiently waits for us to come home. He patiently waits for us to identify our gifts, put them to use, to move toward maturity. He patiently waits for us in this life as we... As we are sanctified, we we become more and more like Jesus. He's a patient father, just like this father who waited for his son to come back home. At Bible camp, we also learn that when we run back to the father, we, we do so because we've been humiliated because of our sin. We've been humbled and humiliated because of our sin. Our sin, which has broken the father's heart. Our sin... As the son says here, we sin against heaven first and foremost. That is, when we sin, we do things that God does not want us to do, but also we sin against others. The father, the son says, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned again before you, before the father. And yet we get to run back to the Father, not as servants, not as slaves, but as sons. That's how the Father receives us back. We need to be careful, lest we be found playing at sin. That's often what happens is we we downplay sin. We don't call it sin. We call it something else. But when we do that, it's like it's like playing with a lion, seeing how close we can get to the lion before he savages us. So quit playing. Quit playing with sin. Those were things that we learned up at Bible camp. The, my challenge was Friday evening. I I, gave, I had to wrap everything up. And, and what, do you, what do you say to these kids who day in and day out have been focused on this text and have been studying it and probably know it very well? They know the various elements that are contained in it. They know what the text says. And so what I focused on Friday evening, I want to share with you this morning, it's this. I focused on things that are missing in the story. What's missing in this story? There are a few things that stand out to me here. Notice verses 11 and 12. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. The younger son here asked for his share of the inheritance. Now, the inheritance is typically what you receive once... Dear old dad has passed away, has died. And so the son is essentially saying, Father, I wish you were dead. Now give me my money. He wishes his father was dead. The father indulges this. And he divides his property between the older and the younger son. Verse 13 says, Not many days later... The younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. What is missing here is gratitude for the father's good gifts. I mean, think about it. The son wishes his father was dead. His father indulges this request. Give me my property. Give me what's coming to me. The father does that, and there's no... Nothing in here that indicates that the Son even said thank you. What's missing is gratitude for the Father's good gifts. As I think about that, the same thing is true for each one of us. The Father has, throughout our lives, gifted us with incredible gifts good gift simply by virtue of the fact that you live in His world and you get to breathe His air and walk on His ground, that's a good gift. That's a demonstration of the, of the, the love and the grace that God has for His creatures. And what we owe our Creator is honor and thanksgiving, and every one of us fails to do that. Instead, what do we do? Because we love our sin, we take the truth that we know there is a God, He's incredibly powerful, that He's a good God. We take that truth and we suppress it in unrighteousness. We stifle it. We try to silence it as if we could. Or, and... We take those good gifts that God has given us and we press them into service in ways that God never intended for us to use them. We take our brains, our minds, and we we think about and we contemplate how we can take God's good gifts and use them for sin. And then we take the bodies that God has given us and we press them into service in order to do things that ought not to be done. We devour the good gifts of God. We squander them without so much as a thank you, without honoring God and giving Him thanks for what He has given us. There may be some sitting here this morning, some may be watching online, And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the church have all united to call you through the gospel to faith, repentance, and obedience. That's a good gift. And you have rejected it time and again. No longer reject the good gifts of God. No longer squander them. But rather, come back to the Father. That's the invitation. Come home. Come home to a Father who loves you. Who sent His Son to the world to die for your sins. Who will send His Spirit into your life in order to change and transform you to look like Jesus. No longer use your body and your mind and all of your energy and effort in order to disobey God. But rather, press these good gifts that God has given you into service for Him. Honor Him and give Him thanks for these good gifts. Yes, gratitude. Gratitude for the Father's good gifts. That's one thing that is missing here. But What else? Well, did you notice in verses 12 and 13 that when the Son leaves, one thing that is missing is the Father going with the Son into the far country. In other words, the father does not go with his son when he leaves the home. The father stays in the house. The son goes by himself into the far country. The father does not go with him because this is a picture of our heavenly father. The heavenly father, our heavenly father, does not abide with disobedience. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. His eyes are too holy even to look upon sin. Now, don't get it twisted. He still upholds all things by the power of His Word. In other words, even God even supports the sinner in His sin and rebellion, which, by the way, is still a reflection of His grace and love for His creatures. You know what God owes us when we sin? Instant death. Cut the thread of our life and we are damned to eternity away from Him. That's what is owed us for sin. But the Father is patient, remember? And He doesn't do that. And He even sustains us in His creation while we sin. But He does not abide with disobedience. Indeed, we are told that His wrath... His wrath abides on the disobedient. That's a, a present reality. So long as your sin remains upon you, rather than upon Christ on the cross, so long as your sin remains upon you, you remain under, abide under the wrath of God for sin. But I am reminded of the great love with which He has loved us in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 begins where this story begins, and that is you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which by the way, that is an echo clearly of what we see here in this parable. Remember when the son comes home, what does he say? This, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's where, that's the starting point dead in your trespasses and sins, lost because of sin. Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God, here's the good news. The bad news is, yes, you are dead, you are lost because of sin and because of rebellion and because of disobedience to the Father. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He's loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. No, the Father does not abide with disobedience. So long as we remain with our sin, and we love our sin, and we love our unrighteousness. We abide away from God. Our sin separating us from God. We're off in the far country because the Father does not go with us. But The good news is, His grace is sufficient when we come home, when we come back to Him. that when we come back to Him, He comes running to us and he notice again uh, here in the text of Luke 15 that when the son comes home, he sees him while he's still a long way off. Maybe he recognizes that familiar gait, that walk. Can it be? Yes, it is. And he runs to him. He saw him, he felt compassion, he ran, he embraced him, he kissed him. Here's his son who's been in the pig pen of sin for who knows how long, and he's all over the boy. No, the father doesn't go with us to the far country. But when we come home, when we repent, he comes running. What else is missing from this story? well it's interesting that you see this radical restoration in verses twenty through twenty four right he restores the son to his former dignity he is a son and he hugs him and he puts clothes on him and it's a time for celebration because he's alive he's found right? How is it that the father can forgive and Reconcile and restore in such a gracious way. You see, what is missing from this story is the means of this radical reconciliation between the father and the son. Between the father and this dead, lost son. There, there's no... Again, Jesus, a Jewish man speaking to a Jewish audience, in order to restore fellowship once again, there needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be a sin offering, a guilt offering need to be made, be a burnt offering as well that symbolizes the restoration of of, uh, relationship, Uh, that there is peace now, there's wholeness, shalom once again within the relationship. There's none of that here. The the, the bull that is sacrificed, the calf that is sacrificed, is offered uh, not for sacrifice, but it's it's celebration. We're going to eat that thing. And you never ate the sin offering or the guilt offering. There's no means, no sacrifice that enables this radical restoration. But the thing is, the one who tells the story, he is the one who will become the means whereby the Heavenly Father can be restored to sinners. That is, sinners can be restored to the Heavenly Father. In other words, it's Jesus. Jesus the one who, is the one who's telling the story, and it is Jesus himself who will become the means whereby we can be restored to relationship with God, and we can be forgiven of all of our sins, and we can be declared righteous and just before God, because God is the one who justifies the ungodly in Christ. Yes, the one who tells the story is the one who makes this warm, loving, welcome possible he's the one who makes it possible for us to be fully restored back to the father one more thing what's missing from this story well how about how about a resolution right an ending verses 31 32 The father says to the older son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 16 verse 1, and he said to his disciples, and he speaks another parable to them. How does this story end? How does it end? Does the older son, who's been angry at the grace of his father, is he convicted? And and does He come inside to the house? Or does He remain angry at the grace of His Father and stay out in the field and refuse to come in? We we don't know. We really don't. There's no resolution. It's held in tension. we, We don't know. Or do we? Do we know how this story ends? You see, Jesus, he told this story. Go back to verses one and two of this chapter. Luke 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Now, you're supposed to make the connection. Chapters and verses, those are kind of the new innovations. Those didn't come along to the 16th century. When Luke originally wrote Luke, there were no chapters and verses. And so, drawing near to hear him, you are supposed to connect that with the previous verse. Verse 35 of chapter 14 ends, "...he who has ears to hear, let him hear." And who is it that is drawing near to hear him? The tax collectors and the sinners. Tax collectors who were hated by society, sinners whose sins were conspicuous, they were known to everybody. Those who were pushed to the edges of society, who were despised by the religious authorities of their day. These are the ones who are drawing near to hear Jesus. And the religious authorities in Jesus' day did not like it. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. He has table fellowship with them. By the way, thank God he receives sinners. Amen? Any other sinners in here? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah, every hand, by the way. Yeah, he receives us. Two, and two hands, yeah. Yeah, he receives us. So he told them this parable. He tells a story about the lost sheep, lost coin, now the, these two sons. And the older son is a reflection of the scribes and the Pharisees. They're supposed to see themselves in this older son who is angry, At the grace that, that God can actually be this gracious that in the Son, the Father can receive sinners. So how does the story end? Well, I believe that the story concludes with the Jesus story. That the older son determines to take the father's unique son, and kill him. You see, the Jesus story concludes with the Pharisees and the scribes conspiring, plotting, and then condemning Jesus. They can't execute him, so they have the Romans, the Gentiles, do their dirty work. And it's the Romans who drive the nails into the hands of Jesus. It is the Romans who ultimately put Him to the death, but after the Jewish people had condemned Him to death. And in that way, the whole world unites. Jews and Gentiles unite to conspire against God's unique Son, Jesus, in order to kill Him. Ah, but even in Remember I told you that the Father sustains and upholds the world, all things, even the sinner in his sinning? So also, as the whole world, as it were, sins in executing, killing the Son of God, God is at work even in human rebellion in order to accomplish His good purposes in saving sinners. And so yes, while His enemies crucify him, that is the means whereby the Father reconciles sinners to himself. That God in Christ is reconciling indeed the world to himself. That is what God is up to in Jesus. And so perhaps in that way, we do see the resolution, the end of this story but its ending is the gospel. That God, through Christ, saves sinners on the cross. That Christ, in His body, on the tree, is bearing all of our sins, your sins and my sins. And that anyone who comes to the cross will find Christ a more than perfect Savior. Just like we sang several minutes ago at Calvary. At Calvary we look upon the crucified Lord and we see the one who takes our sins upon himself so that his righteousness might be counted to us. It's a well-known story. A story that we're familiar with. It's been told for centuries. It's contained in the pages of Scripture. And these are some of the things that we learned while we were at Bible camp. Let us pray. Lord God, take Your Word and seal it in our hearts. We pray that this implanted Word would grow and flourish that we might see the beauty of the gospel the things that you have accomplished on our behalf in Christ Father I pray that there are, if, that for those who have run from your presence that that you would convict them by your holy spirit that they would come back home to you and that they would find you through Christ a loving perfect Savior. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.